Today, we're going to tell you about a leader who is considered one of the founding fathers of American Pentecostalism, a sect of Christianity that emphasizes faith healing. We're talking about John Alexander Dowie, who went from being a run-of-the-mill preacher to running a faith healing commune with over 10,000 residents. But his corruption ran deep. And when his faith healing methods proved to be highly suspicious and mostly ineffective, it led to a spectacular fall from grace. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Every week, we're going to cover your favorite cults, faith followers, and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've also managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. Today, we're talking about John Alexander Dowie, a preacher born in Scotland in the mid-1800s. His career started innocently enough as a minister with a modest group of followers. But after reportedly saving the life of a dying girl by simply praying over her, Dowie had clearly found his calling. In this episode, we'll get into Dowie's epic rise to become one of the most influential and controversial preachers in the US at the turn of the century, as well as the deep corruption that led to his downfall. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. All right, let's get into the Christian Catholic Church led by John Alexander Dowie. John Alexander Dowie was born to a poor family in Scotland in 1847, the olden black and whitey times. His father was a part-time preacher who he would join on preaching trips. Dowie was a sickly child, but he uh, made it work in his favor. His extended illnesses led him to being able to read from a very young age. It's reported that by age six, he was able to read the entire Bible. During his teenage years and well into young adulthood, Dowie and his family lived between Scotland and Adelaide, which is in Australia quite the commute from Scotland to Adelaide. And in the 1800s, I think I would have chosen Australia over Scotland. (laughs) It's quite cold up there. Yeah. That must have taken like a fucking 12-year round trip. What? 
But maybe he went there for the wonderful universities that they are in Scotland because it was there that he studied theology. But he only did his studying there. He did his actual priesting back in Australia. He became an ordained minister in Australia, 1872. Dowie found his true calling as a faith healer while working as a pastor in Newtown, Australia in 1876. He was called to pray over a young girl who was dying of diphtheria. I haven't talked about this before. I feel like this is the opportune moment to discuss this. So where I grew up in Hertfordshire, the house opposite my parents was owned by this man. And he built like a random large shed in his garden. But you could see it from the road because it was like in his front garden. Okay. And has a shed in their front garden. Yeah, this guy. And then it turned out that he'd built this ginormous shed in his front garden because he was going to be a faith healer. Oh my God, I remember this. Yeah, he was going to be a faith healer. He started having these seances and he started having these faith healing meetings and he started doing like cold reading on people. Like, as in, obviously he wasn't telling them he was cold reading them, but he'd like have people over and be like, Barbara, is there a Barbara in the house? There's a John trying to speak to you. Barbara in the shed. And I'd be like, there are all these people from this small town. You fucking know her husband, John, is dead. Like, what are you, um, you know, divining? Um, But it was also on the front page of our local newspaper, The Comet, because people were scared in my town, in my hometown, that it was full of ghosts. I can't remember what the headline was, but the headline had the word ghosts in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, he was probably drawn to your childhood bedroom because that's wanted as shit. There is a ghost in my childhood bedroom. So we moved into like my childhood house when I was like maybe seven or eight years old. And um, all the rooms of the house, normal temperature, except my childhood bedroom, absolutely freezing. Like you cross the threshold and the temperature drops. And my parents always said, oh, you know, it's because the windows in there are old and we're going to renovate the house anyway. So once that's done, it won't be a problem anymore. Full renovation, brand new exterior wall built because they did like a double story extension. So none of the old house almost existed there apart from the internal facing part. Still, the only room in the house is absolutely bloody freezing, even when the heating's on. And then we found out that the little girl who lived in that house had drowned in a lake down the road. She's never done anything to me though, if she isn't there. So anyway, there's that. She's probably really sad you don't live there anymore. So lonely. Left her all alone. So anyway, back to Dowie. So Dowie, when he was called to uh, pray over this young girl who had diphtheria, he came to see her and she was writhing in pain. But after Dowie called out to God, the girl suddenly lay still, having apparently been healed. Dowie had found his calling. You just imagine he goes there and he's like, right, let's give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen? Or he's just slight of handing antibiotics into her (laughs) mouth when no one's looking. (laughs) He discovered antibiotics, but he's like, I'm going to keep this under wraps because there's more money to be made in faith healing. Exactly. (laughs) After this, Dowie got married in 1876. But he and his wife's first years as newlyweds were marked by quite considerable hardship. They ran into financial troubles. Dowie resigned from his ministry. And then in 1882, their eldest child died. That's how you know they're not Catholic Catholic. The marrying and the shagging and the children. If he's a priest, can't be doing any of that. But Dowie's luck turned all the way around in 1883 when Dowie established a new denomination that he called the Free Christian Church. I always think when it's like the Free Church or any of those type of names, it's just basically one minister who's like, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me how to God, Rome, rebel minister. Exactly. 
And he opened this free Christian church in Melbourne, which is, of course, in Australia. His ministry grew as rumors of his ability to heal the sick spread. Wanting to spread his new denomination worldwide, Dowie set sail with his family to San Francisco in 1888, which is another bloody long way. And there, his reputation as a healer continued to grow as he reportedly healed a person who couldn't walk without crutches and got rid of someone's cancer. I would wager... In 1888, cancer would have been quite difficult to see and therefore quite difficult to know whether it was there or not, unless it was some sort of exterior growth that fell off. After San Francisco had had enough of him, he relocated to Chicago. And there, he had a breakthrough when Dowie reportedly cured another tumour, which was on a very famous niece's back. This niece had, obviously, as all nieces do, an uncle, and her uncle happened to be Buffalo Bill Cody, who was a showman and very famous. Oh, I was like, who's that? Buffalo Bill. As in, not the serial killer from The Silence of the Lambs. No, not that one. Got it. So you know, like, H.H. Holmes times in Chicago, where they've got, like, the World Fair. The Buffalo Bill show is, like, cowboys, like, riding bulls and stuff. It's like a Wild West show. Got it. And Buffalo Bill was the, like, ringleader. So Dowie really did find the right niece he, to cure. He found the very right niece. And apparently this niece said that she, quote, felt a new life inside of her after Dowie had laid his hands on her. Well, that sounds a little bit... Sounds a little bit spermy, doesn't it? Does doesn't sound great. <laughs> Dowie's reputation as a healer took off from there. As he conducted more healing ceremonies, he claimed to have cured cases of smallpox, broken limbs, asthma, and arthritis. His success came with monetary gains too, and he began to buy up real estate where he established healing homes for parishioners. But as his popularity grew, so did his detractors. Doctors and ministers scorned Dowie, saying he staged his healings and only healed psychosomatic illnesses. Which, probably. Yeah. His faith healing methods were also beginning to draw the ire of local authorities. He was investigated for practicing medicine without a license. City authorities said his healing homes were in violation of city ordinances for the same charge. But the fines and arrest warrants that Dowie was accruing ended up having the reverse effect. The negative press was a boon for his business, (laughs) and he moved to a preaching hall that could seat up to 1,500 people, which is probably the entire population of Chicago at that particular time. Then he set his eyes on an even bigger goal. In 1896, he created the Christian Catholic Church, a group whose mission was to create Zion, the promised land, etc., etc., which happened to be a financial cooperative of believers that would form a town for God, which is what a commune is. So I think we've got to bring out the wind chime. A financial cooperative. Yeah. That sounds like, can I have all your money Not can I have, give me all your money. Yeah. So, oh, whoops, your money's already in my pocket. Yeah. Communal money. Your money is now the communal money. Yeah. My money is my money, but your money is communal money for the financial cooperative, which is definitely not a cult and it's definitely not a commune. Uh Uh-huh. And I definitely have healed this cancer that you didn't even know you had. Coming up, we'll get into the city of Zion and the huge wealth disparity that drew a wedge between the extravagant Dowie and his followers. (laughs) 
This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Towards the end of the 1800s, John Alexander Dowie's self-conception started to change. In 1899, he declared himself a messenger of God's covenant, which technically all ministers are. It's not that much of a step up. Sounds better, though. It does sound much better. Covenant is also another great word. It is a very good word. Covenant. So he's made himself the executive vice principal director (laughs) of God and... He said that his existence was the fulfillment of a biblical prophecy. So all of that reading of the Bible at six years old, it pays off. And he also began calling himself Dr. Dowie, which to his credit, he did actually have a doctorate of divinity. So he had a degree in divinity. Dowie's followers were sent to go door to door to gain new members, which was a resounding success. There must have been not that much to do back then. Because his members, the members of his new made-up church, numbered over 40,000 by 1900, by the turn of the century. I feel like that must have been the entire population of the US at that point. I mean, one would venture, but apparently not. Wow. And these 40,000 spread a message of salvation, healing, and holy living. They were also encouraged to contribute to an investment group otherwise known as a bank, (laughs) that Dowie created that was secretly buying up land north of Chicago for his planned commune of Zion. Dowie's wealth was growing exponentially, both for he and his family and for his religious sect. He owned vast amounts of real estate in downtown Chicago. There was the Zion Publishing House, Hall of Seventies, Zion College, Zion City Bank, Zion Junior School, Zion Home for Hope, and his own private family residence in the Zion headquarters on Michigan Avenue. He's really diversified. Yes, he most certainly has. I don't think it would have been that difficult to open any of those things in 1900. (laughs) I think it's just like a lemonade stand, (laughs) like Zion Bank in like crayon. Like I don't think there's any like particular bureaucracy that has to be jumped through to open any of these things in the olden days. But his sights remained firmly placed on Zion City. In a dramatic display to his followers, at the stroke of midnight at the turn of the century, heading into 1900, Dowie revealed a map of the planned city. The land had been bought and the exodus to the city would begin soon. I love that he is like, that's what was going down at the turn of the century in 1900. What were you doing at the turn of the century when it was the millennium, the 2000, the big old two triple zero? Well, as a millennial. I was at my friend Ashling Murphy's house and I was wearing a sparkly purple boob tube and I imagine probably dancing to the Spice Girls. Because we'd have been, what, 10, 11? 
I was 10, mm-hmm. you would have been 11. 11. I think I was at home playing dominoes. <laughs> <laughs> Not planetary taxi. Not planetary taxi. <laughs> Sadawi described Zion City as the Zion foretold in the Book of Revelation. The church's name was changed to the Christian Catholic Apolistic Church in Zion, something that, according to Dowie, was akin to Rome, the seat, of course, of the Roman Catholic Church. So it's the direct, he's taken them on head to head. He's uh-huh. like, yeah, you've yeah. got the Roman Catholic Church, you've got that. We'll see about that. We're going to have Zion, bitch. It's also a bit of a contradiction in terms in like Catholic meaning all-encompassing and then Apolistic meaning specifically of the apostles. So it's like, Everything, but this very specific bit of everything. Just branding, though. It's like, people know these words. What words do people know? (laughs) Catholic. Church. Christian. Yeah. Zion. That's a big digger. Done. Love something. And then we need something that fewer people know, so it's kind of a bit esoteric. We're chucking Apolistic. There you go. Wow, he pulled it off. Marketing. Done. Tick. Dowie also said that the city was governed by the will of God. Simultaneously, Dowie also... However, owned everything in Zion, from the businesses to the homes where followers lived. Strict rules governed daily life in Zion City. Dancing, gambling, swearing, tobacco, alcohol, pork, shellfish, and hospitals were banned. But despite all of these rules, Zion City was exploding. The population of the city numbered 10,000, and it functioned like any other city. There was a lumberyard, a telephone system, a lace factory, and even a candy factory. So they are having some fun. All the essentials. Mm-hmm. Dowie's personal wealth was similarly exploding. From tithes alone, Dowie reportedly earned $250,000 a year. Bloody hell, in 1900s? What a successful racket. (laughs) And his personal fortune was over $10 million. And I'm not saying in today's money, I'm saying in then money. Wrap your head around that. Using all this money, Dowie moved his family into a 25-room mansion and he began wearing elaborate robes modelled after high priests. How pious. Mmm, yep. Hints of unrest began circulating, however, among community members who started to take note of Dowie's extravagant lifestyle. Unashamed, however, by his vast wealth, regardless of what his nagging community members might be saying, Dowie said, quote, Jesus came to make his people rich, not in the life to come, but a hundredfold now in this time. Pardon? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. understand what that means. My brain just started to go, as I began to read that. I don't know. I guess he's saying, Jesus came to make his people rich, not in the life to come, but a hundredfold now in this. And I, nah, still- I mean, also, he definitely didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, he's like, not in the Bible. He told me. Me specifically, in my golden ear trumpet, mm-hmm. paid for with your hard-earned cash. So I don't want to hear any more about the gold trumpet, all right? <laughs> it was also around this time that Dowie began telling people that he had been sent by God to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ. Here we go. Doomsday alert. (laughs) But things took a downturn for Dowie in 1902 when his daughter was killed in a fire. She had set fire to her family's Chicago apartment while curling her hair. What did women use to curl their hair in 1902? Probably a poker. Oh, no. And Dowie blamed the tragedy on his daughter's use of alcohol. (laughs) 
coming up. Dowie spins out of control after a spate of bad press, setting the scene for a coup amongst his followers. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay. Let's get into how John Alexander Dowie's extravagant lifestyle, combined with increasingly erratic behavior, led to an abrupt and shocking downfall. Just a few years into the city of Zion's existence, a journalist who was also a Methodist bishop visited Zion to write a piece for Century magazine. Dowie welcomed the journalist, who went on to write a highly critical article about Dowie. The article referred to Dowie as a, quote, flamboyant mixture of flesh and spirit. That's my prison name. (laughs) (laughs) And implied that he was an imposter. Enraged by the piece, Dowie formed a group he called the Zion Restoration Host, which was required to recognize Dowie as the general overseer of the Christian Catholic Church in Zion. This group also had to recognize Dowie in his, quote, threefold prophetic office as messenger of the covenant, the prophet foretold by Moses and Elijah the Restorer. That's your prison name. (laughs) Elijah the Restorer. (laughs) Perhaps as a way to detract from the bad press, though as we've seen before, the bad press never stopped Dowie. If anything, it just gave him more followers. Dowie set his sights on new areas to conquer. The Holy Grail, or capital of sin as he saw it, New York City. At the end of 1902, Dowie unveiled a plan to bring his, quote, full gospel message of salvation, healing, and holy living to the Gothamites. Nearly a year later, Dowie and his pack of followers arrived in New York City. Despite all of their fervent planning, it didn't quite go down as they had expected. Dowie rented Madison Square Garden, for no less, for two whole weeks of sermons and healing services, but his events were interrupted by people calling him a blasphemer, and an imposter. Candidates for his healing services were carefully screened. So there were stooges, basically. (laughs) Dowie insisted that they surrender their wealth to the Christian Catholic Church in order to be healed, which seems like the wrong way around. And prospective parishioners weren't having any of it. They were absolutely revolted. and like, you can get on your bike, Jack. (laughs) I'm not doing it. A reporter wrote of Dowie, Quote, those who go to Dowie for healing and are not healed are simply accused of being short on faith. And Dowie lets it go at that. The classic. The perfect crime. Yeah. During his sermons at Madison Square Garden, he lashed out at those who doubted him. He called his critics, these are all quotes, dogs, fleas, rats, maggots, lice, and pigs. The trip to New York was an abject failure and a warning sign for what was to come. Dowie had lost over $250,000 on the New York trip and barely gained any followers at all. Furthermore, the followers he did have 
were starting to turn on him. Funds in Zion City were also drying up, and workers were having to be paid in coupons. Oh, Jesus. While his parishioners struggled to make ends meet, Dowie appeared before his congregation in increasingly elaborate robes of golden satin. And he even anointed himself John Alexander, first apostle. Come on. No. You can't do that. That's not how being an apostle works. He's going to do it. If anyone's going to do it, Dowie's going to do it. Meanwhile, on November the 28th, 1904, residents of Zion were ordered to deposit funds into the failing Zion City Bank or leave town. Workers still hadn't been paid. So with what money he was expecting them to pay into this bank account is quite challenging. He was probably just going to make it himself. I see. Despite the troubles brewing in his failing town, Dowie decided to embark on a world tour where he said he would search for new lands to buy for a project he called Paradise Plantation. Smells like Jonestown to me. I have an economics question. Mm. So you know like the Brixton Pound? Explain. Okay, so in London, where we live, there is a part of London called Brixton. And in Brixton, they have the Brixton Pound, which has David Bowie on it because he's from Streatham. Anyway, the Brixton Pound can be exchanged at the market in Brixton for goods and services. You can't buy drugs with it. Vice did an article about it. So there's like a micro economy in Brixton, which is just the Brixton Pound in a sort of like mini Brixton Brexit from the rest of the UK. They've got their own currency. If, economically speaking, Dowie were to start printing his own money, quite literally, and they only used it in Zion, would that work? Would it work in what sense? Like, it would work in the sense of if they all decided that that was worth something, mm-hmm. then it would be worth something. Yeah. But it would make no difference to the dollar. No, but like if they only stayed in Zion and they decided they weren't using the dollar anymore and they were only going to trade within themselves. They would have to be fully self-sufficient. Okay. So they would have to be producing all of the things that they needed. Okay, that makes sense. Because nobody outside gives a fuck about their Zion money. I care very much about the Brixton Pound. So, followers heard of Dowie staying in fancy hotels and purchasing fancy gowns for his wife, and they didn't have the Brixton Pound, and they had had enough. They didn't even have the Zion dollar. While he travelled, Dowie appointed Wilbur Glenn Voliver. I can't hear the word Wilbur without thinking of a small pig. And he was a trusted follower, despite having the same name as a pig, which Dowie didn't seem to be particularly fans of the oinkers. But he did appoint him as deputy overseer of Zion City. Bolivar staged a coup instead of doing what he was told. Uh, Dowie shouldn't have taken his eyes off him for a minute. He sold the entire estate for $1 to an executor who then held the property in trust to Dowie's creditors. Nightmare. The deal was approved in a public vote by the residents of Zion City. It allowed workers and creditors outside of Zion to be paid back for missed wages and earnings. I would vote for that. Mm-hmm. If I was being paid in coupons. Smart. It's like a baby revolution. It's like a microcosm of a coup mm. and how it works. And Bolivar, after this vote was carried out, was appointed as the new leader of the church, a move formalized in the vote deposing Dowie. Over the years, Bolivar repealed the old religious laws and Zion City became just another suburb outside of Chicago, and it still exists to this very day. Dowie does not. He died shortly after the coup in 1907 at the age of 60. So that is that, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode on the Christian Catholic Church in Zion City.
thank you ever so much for listening. My name is Hannah Maguire. And I am Saruti Bala. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And we just want to give a quick shout out to the articles that we referenced in this episode. We use reporting from Atlas Obscura, from the University of Illinois Press, and from the book The Apostle of Divine Healing by Godron P. Gardner. If you like this show, make sure you follow at Parcast on Facebook and on Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us and you fancy listening to us talk about some other true crime specific cases, then head on over to Red Handed wherever you listen to your podcast. We talk all the time about perversions of religion and how they turn into true crime cases. One of the ones that we did a couple of years ago that really stands out because yes, we've been doing it for years. There are hundreds of episodes to go and binge was the one where we took a look at the Panama massacre, which involved that of evangelical Christian cult moving into Panama, converting the indigenous population and how that ended in a horrible, bloody massacre. So go check that out and we'll see you next time. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Gemma Waters. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Researched by Chelsea Wood. And fact-checking by Cara McAleen. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. <laughs>